Crude Audacity Podcast. the crude audacity podcast the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers i am Catherine mills for those listening go ahead and leave us a rate and review on itunes or if you're tuned in through youtube if you can hit subscribe and that little bell to stay up to date on all things oil energy and of course the crude audacity the more engagement we get the more people we reach and today's influencer would love your comments below So without further ado, from the death of the corporate narrative to the rise of personal brands and a push for more quantifiable and transparent ESG, this new crew change is leaving a new flavor in the oil field. Here to discuss this new form of communication from field to firm and at the epicenter of it all, Susan Faharzadeh. Thanks so much for joining today. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm really, really thrilled to be here. I have to uh, compliment you. I don't think I've ever been called an influencer before, so I'm going to check that off my bucket list, and thank you very much for the compliments. So good to be here. Well, you are most definitely an oil field influencer and an energy influencer. So I am so thrilled to actually have you on today because as you know, we are getting a new line of communication across the oil patch and it's really being pushed from the outside in, but interesting enough from the inside out as well. So that being the case, you have a very unique story for how you entered oil and energy. I'm wondering if you can take us through it and kind of give us the step-by-step and play-by-play, which made you an oil field influencer. (laughs) I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, You know, I call myself the accidental advocate. Um, If you had rewound, you know, when I was going to college and and coming out of college and exploring my career, I never would have thought I would end up in oil and gas doing what I do. Um, I I attended the University of Colorado at Boulder, and I have a degree in English and philosophy. Um, By by all accounts, I have no business being in this business. Um, but you know what? What brought me into oil and gas is everything that I think makes this industry so wonderful, and it really is this huge package of things that most people just don't even know. And and I'm out there trying to tell people that everything you think you know about the oil and gas industry is 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 likely um, not not quite right or yep. inaccurate or really really falls short of of the truth. And so. I think that has been a really exciting challenge for me professionally and personally, and it's really helped me to um, identify myself around that. And it has become such a part of my personal brand because um, it's not a corporate narrative. It really is a deeply held set of beliefs that have been formed over spending half my career working not only in this wonderful industry, but working for these amazing people that make up the oil field. So I, I feel blessed and fortunate. And, um, you know, it's become part of the fabric of who I am as a professional and as a person, because I've been so deeply influenced by, by, by this industry that I feel so lucky to, to have found my place in. I love that. Well, you have a very unique story, you know, aren't you a Boulder brat? I am. am. (laughs) It's one of those things that like, I, I try and try and Say on the sly, um, yeah, yeah, go buffs, I guess. But you <laughs> infiltrated us. <laughs> well, how does a Boulder brat get into oil and gas? Like, what was your first experience? Sure. So I had um, spent the first ten years of my career working for a multinational electronics distributor. I had a great job. I did marketing and business development. Traveled all over the country. It was high tech. Um, I made some great lifelong friends, learned some incredible stuff about working for a publicly traded company, really honed my skills as a professional. But at the end of the day, I, I wasn't I wasn't deeply inspired. And and I loved what I was doing. I had a great career path. I had fabulous coworkers, but there wasn't that 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 big why, right? Yeah. When I woke up in the morning, it was to go to work. And when I went through the week, it was to get home and, and spend time with my 
my husband and my friends and, and do what I wanted to do on the weekends. And um, for me, I I'm, I'm really believe that if you're going to spend this much of your life um, working and at a career, it has to be something that is really meaningful and, and drives Absolutely. you. And, and I was flying back from Birmingham, Alabama on a flight. It was late at night. The window is dark. And I finished this book and I, it just really inspired me. And I thought to myself on, on my flight home and my drive back to my house from DIA was, I need to find my next step because I'm not going to find it. Um, and it's not going to find me if I don't sit here and pursue it. So I really um, started looking for a job that that had substance and had that that connection and that drive. And I found an opportunity with a um, trade association called Western Energy Alliance. And okay. I was like, what is this? What is a trade association in the oil and gas industry? And what do they do? And so I started doing research. And it kind of takes me back to what I said at the beginning. I very, very quickly learned after talking to just a handful of people that everything I thought I knew about the oil and gas industry was wrong. And I, I love like, that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is really, really exciting. So, so I started researching more and I started, you know, reaching into the depths of my network and people I knew who knew. And I said, you know, how do I get in here? And fortunately, Western Energy Alliance thought I was a good candidate. They brought me on board and that was my start in oil and gas. And um, I've never stopped learning. I've never stopped expanding, um, you know, my passion for, for this industry and its people. And it's brought me to where I am today, which is um, I'm vice president of corporate communications and government affairs for uh, Great Western Petroleum, who is uh, the largest private operator in the mm -hmm. DJ Basin. And um, just so proud to represent our industry and our people um, every single day in, in my advocacy. So um, that's where I am. It's, it's been it's been a, a crazy ride. And, and I hope that I've got a whole lot more years to be able to do it. Well, so just a little side question. How's rulemaking going? Um, <laughs> okay, so next question. <laughs> I actually have a good answer for that because okay. I, was, I was talking internally and this is how rulemaking is going. I said, you know what? I've gone to all of our departments and all of our subject matter experts and our peers in the industry. And I said, listen, um, we're going to sit down for the longest drawn out game of Texas Hold'em we've ever played, okay? And yeah, I'm not right. saying like we're holding all the cards, right? Everybody around this table has a card. I'm not sure who the dealer is yet, but everybody around this table has a card, <laughs> right? And and there's gonna be rounds where we decide that we're gonna go in for the blind. And there's gonna be times where we decide we're gonna go all in. And then there's times where we're gonna say, that player has a much better hand I'm going to let them run with it and I'm going to see what the cards bring me next time. And I think that's a great analogy because um, we're all going in with a strategy. We all have a goal, but there's pieces and parts where all of us are going to have more in our hand than others do. And, and there's times when there's going to be peer companies that are in a better or more appropriate position to have a really active role in the rulemaking than we are. Um, it sounds a lot more glamorous and exciting than it is. It's going to be months of testimony prep. And well, making it sounds glamorous right now. Oh my gosh. I, I was, I, I had the good fortune to chat with one of the uh, new commissioners earlier today. And um, she was telling me about reading all the public comment and the revisions. And I said, doesn't that sound riveting, right? <laughs> um, but, but we all have a big challenging job ahead of us, whether you're a member of the commission or a member of the public with concerns or one of us who says, let's, let's figure this out. So um, yeah. it's going to be a wild ride. Well, <laughs> I think that's very appropriate that rulemaking's continuing into 2020. <laughs> Yeah. But I also liked what you said about the level of communication because your job and your path and your journey have really brought you from field firm and social, which is just, you know, like I said earlier, the epicenter of a hotbed topic because we have to make our data, our industry digestible to those outside of industry. And that has not been an easy task, hence the death of the corporate narrative that we've been seeing lately. So one of the reasons I love you so much is because of your personal brand. And you were one of the first people to really put it out there in industry and it's gained momentum over time. So I call you the fracking feminist, <laughs> which I think is the perfect title for you. And you should lock up that Twitter handle. 
I should, I should. But can you take us through sort of how you developed into that personal brand? Because Susan, I will tell you from being a podcaster and having sort of the crude audacity as my brand, the number one question I'm getting right there now for those in transition is how do I stand out against competition? How do I distinguish myself in oil and energy? And I've even gotten it from some of my clients who are, you know, small players across the oil field. How do they distinguish themselves in this new crew change as we sort of, you know, come towards the end of 2020? Yeah. You know, um, there's there's a lot of answers to that. And I think it, <laughs> in some ways it goes back to your personal brand. So what is it that that what is your why? What is what is your North Star that that? you know, guides your direction and your decision making and inspires you to seek out the mentors that are going to take you down that path. And, and you know, for me, um, I very quickly learned, the more I learned about oil and gas, I very quickly learned that oil and gas is not, um, it's not uh, the lightning rod and it's not the polarizing topic that people make it. Mm -mm. Um, you know, Everyone needs energy. 3.2 billion people without energy. Precisely. 3.2 billion people. And energy is what separates the first world from the third world. It's what changes that trajectory with regards to um, life expectancy and education. Yeah. Bingo. You can't do your homework in the dark. Right. Right. Exactly. And so everybody needs it. And, and my thought was, okay, we have this incredible abundant resource here in North America and we're being told that um, it's 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 wrong to produce it, and that we are polluters, and that oil and gas is old and bad, and we need to switch to renewables. And we poison um, lakes and mountaintops and small children and chickens and everything. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, the the at the end of the day, we can't have those lakes access anyway to those lakes and mountaintops and those chickens without <laughs> oil and gas, right? True. And so I started really taking this down the path and how I ended up as the fracking feminist is, <laughs> is really, um, you know, we have this here in, in North America. And I think it's really, really important to note that today is August 19th, 2020. Um, August 18th, 1920 was the hundredth or was the, the day that women got the um, right to vote in the United States. Yes, it was. Well, yesterday was our hundredth birthday of, of women's suffrage. Yeah. Go check. And we've been in charge ever since. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, but that's, that's what I'm getting at with the fracking feminist. Um, I want to produce that energy right here in the United States because women like me, have an opportunity to do what I do and live the life I live because of the rights um, that are afforded us as citizens of the United States. Mm -hmm. And I look at other oil and gas producing countries and they're not all like this, but a lot of oil and gas producing countries do not allow women to have an education, do not allow women to choose who they're going to marry or how many children they're going to have. Um, right. I mean, these are really big things. Don't allow women to drive a car or own property. And why of, you know, why serve the needs of 3.2 billion people by supporting a system that doesn't allow women to have those basic human rights? hundred percent. And that's, that was like such an eye opener for me. And all of a sudden I was like, this isn't just, I love oil and gas and it's cool. And you know, it's, it's America. This really is a global human rights issue, absolutely. And, and and it's a and it's a freedom issue, and and it's an issue that's about diversity and inclusion. And and I was like, we need to change the narrative and help people understand that our choices with regards to how we um, regulate and manage and um, produce our energy here in America has global implications, and whether that's us exporting it to other countries that may be reliant upon other other foreign sources or whether that's as our own domestic energy resource. Our, our choices have consequences. And um, we we usually only say that around elections in an election year. But, you know, oh, I, have you paid attention to the latest news? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something happening on November 3rd. <laughs> 
but but you know that's 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 where all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this this is a big deal, and I want to be a part of it, and I want to dedicate all of my um, intelligence and energy and professionalism to bringing people along with me and saying what what you think you know is not what what really is happening here, and we need everybody to understand and and you know it's it's a daunting task um to to you know again i'm going to call on my my degree in philosophy to to be um you know rolling sisyphus rolling that rock up that same yeah. pole every single day but ultimately um it's an incredible opportunity because we have so much to offer and oh. and you know that's that's where it gets exciting and that's that's where i'm like Heck yeah, I'm the fracking feminist, and and let me tell you why. <laughs> I just love that you call yourself that. I think it's so smart, and I love the message behind it. You know, one of the things that got me into energy was I, I'm very much an outdoors person. I love sitting on the patio. I love going hunting. It's just it's fun and. Oil and gas does not have a perfect history, but no industry has a perfect history. And it's not great, but it is ours. We embrace it and we improve from it. And one of the things I think we do really well is spread those technologies across other industries so that we leave things better than when we found it in all cases. And that seems to be a message that has been lost through the corporate narrative. So my question to you, I don't know if you saw recently, I'm sure you did, <laughs> but Kamala Harris, now Joe Biden's VP, she has restated her uh, desire to ban fracking. Right. And we've also had Greta visit, I'm pretty right. sure she got stuck in Canada for a little while. Right. They have had AOC pushing the Green New Deal, despite what the actual copy, the text says about carbon impacts. And you know, it, it seems like gaslighting is more favorable. I mean, we're a human species. We like drama. We follow the real housewives, what have you. <laughs> we, we tend to react towards our headlines more than digging in to figure out our own opinions. And with sort of those three examples, what are you doing to sort of bridge that gap of communication um, but between social and industry right now? You know, I think the biggest thing we can do is to humanize our argument mm -hmm. and, 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 and pop, like, like pull out a pin and burst that balloon of um, rhetoric and hypocrisy that, that is, that is being sold to us as our only option. And, and, and tell That's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good point. It is not, it is not band fracking or, you're going to, or we're all going to die in 12 years for, for climate change. That is, that is a false choice. And I think we need to be out there and we need to say, not only is it our responsibility to produce this energy because of all of those social justice issues and because of all the economic reasons, but in fact, the way we are producing energy today is cleaner than it ever has been and while we're producing vastly amounts more energy, our greenhouse gas, em gas emissions have gone the other direction. And and it's so you know, cool. It, it is, is so, so cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I think it's 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 a couple of things. So humanize it, saying, I you know what, I don't agree with you, and let me say why. And then it's hard when you start pulling in those big data examples because everyone's like, tell me how much. And it's like, you know what? I am a nerd and I follow this stuff, but I can't expect everybody in the world to know by what percentage we've increased production and what percentage we've decreased G greenhouse gas, right? You but think so? I <laughs> love those numbers. I know, right? But I think what is important is to say, we all use it. Mm -hmm. we, we, we all use it every single day. And the fact of the matter is with the resources we have today, we can bring countries out of poverty. We can communities in our own country out of poverty. And when we're looking at the economic impacts that we're going to be experiencing from the pandemic and from the shutdown, I think that all of a sudden we have a responsibility to say there's a role to play and we have a solution right here, right here in our backyard. Absolutely. You know who you would really like? Have you ever looked into the uh, history of oil and gas in Belize? Ooh, I haven't. I would love to they go. They are the most recent. It's so interesting. I'll connect you. They are the most recent case to actually show the difference of the before and after and what 
one woman <laughs> was able to do for an entire country. It's the coolest story. I'll totally connect you guys. Cool. Um, Thank you. So on that note, okay, back to the death of the corporate narrative. So before we dive into that, because that that's becoming a hot topic right now, especially with social media. And I mean, look at us now. We're on a podcast and on YouTube. Okay. Would that have happened five years ago in oil and gas? No. No. We no. kept everything quiet on lockdown, didn't trust any outside sources. And now we're seeing the encouragement of finding your voice and energy. So when I say the death of the corporate narrative, what does that mean to you? And what are you seeing amongst your team? I think what it means to me is, is we are embracing the voices of, of tomorrow. And we're, we're embracing the, the generational shift that we're seeing in the oil and gas industry. And um, we've, we've come a really long way. And, and we've come a long way from an innovation standpoint. We don't drill wells the way we did 50, 60 years ago. We don't, <laughs> if you're lucky, you don't. Right? <laughs> you know, we, we, we know so much more about um, how to do that efficiently and yeah. how to capture hydrocarbons so that we're not releasing them into the atmosphere. Um, so those are very scientific angles. But again, I think what we're doing is we're tapping into our, our very own resources. Who are the really smart young men and women engineers who are coming out and are going to have those solutions that 50 years from now, they'll say, oh, we don't do it like we did back in the 2020s. And, <laughs> and you know, I think, I think, you know, an energy future will include all of the above. But, but reality is the corporate narrative is, is changing everywhere. And it's right. really becoming who are the people behind it. And, and let's, let's look at a different industry. So let's look at, at um, auto manufacturing. You know, okay. cars have always been sexy and cool. And, you know, the, the commercials go crazy at Christmas time with the snowy, you know, driveway and the big ribbon on top of the vehicle. <laughs> Jingle bells with the lights. <laughs> right? uh, Santa's never brought me a Mustang. I'm just saying. <laughs> But but look at look at Subaru and and they have like become the car of love and yeah, they, they're the hippie car. That's so true. It used to be the yes. Volkswagen bus. They're the hippie car and they're the car of the young couples and of the human people who err and are confused and trying to make the right decision. And I think it's connecting people to your purpose, mm -hmm. which is what that's all about. So it's not um, toe in the company line, and it's but it is about saying, well, um, actually, I am an oil and gas employee, and this is why I do it, and this is why it's important to me. And um, it's it's again, it's that connecting the people to your purpose, and and doing that through a very human interaction. Um, I have a I have a great story of when I very first got into oil and gas of um, going to a social event. And I'm talking to a woman who, at that point, I had known her for eight years. And we'd okay, so that's, been that's a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. And we're at this social event, and she says to me, so you're, you work in oil and gas now? And I'm like, yeah, I do. It's great. This is what I'm, what I'm up to. And she says, so do you support fracking? And I said, yeah, actually, fracking is an incredible technology that's, that's pretty misunderstood, but, but I absolutely support it. And she says to me, I find that really surprising. And I said, why? And she says, you always seem like such a nice person. Oh, that's rude. Well, and I remember I was like, well, I, I, I am a nice person, right? <laughs> but, but it's like oil and gas is the only place where at a social event at a cocktail party, you'll have somebody tell you that what you do is wrong. Yeah. And I have, I have a really big problem with that. And Again, when I very first got into the industry, I used, I used to say, we're the McDonald's of the energy world. Everyone pretends that we're so bad and hates us, but we're still selling 3 billion burgers a year, right? And we still have the best coffee. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is we're not. We are innovative. We are cool. And we are making people's lives better and making our modern lives possible. So I have a problem with, with this cultural assumption that it's okay to treat oil and gas people like garbage. And, yeah. and let's let's just take that assumption one step further. Let's assume that that we were the big bad evil people that that 
that the world portrays us to be. Do you think we don't know what we do for a living? Do you think we don't know when we walk into our office every day? Like what we're, we're not meteorologists. Come on. <laughs> right? And 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 it's like I it, it just astounds me. Like I would never be at a cocktail party and meet a criminal defense lawyer and be like Exactly. Wow. So you defend criminals and keep bad guys out of jail. Like no. I would be like, "Wow, that's got to be interesting work. Tell me what you do, but somehow yeah. for oil and gas, like the gloves come off and people think it's okay to make it in a personal assault. And so I want to turn that table and I want to make that, that narrative, you know, a, a personal story. I'm curious how you handled the rest of that conversation when you were like, well, one, I am a nice person. So check yourself. And two, <laughs> like, how did you actually dig down to that? Cause that's something, you know, we used to be pushed by our organizations, go out into your neighborhood, tell the schools, tell your neighbors how awesome we are at the end of the day. Like, I don't know about you, but by Wednesday, I don't want to talk to anybody else. I just want to do my job. So it's a little exhausting to think that you're going to continue to push a corporate narrative when you're on your own time. So how did you handle that conversation and what were her takeaways at the end of it? Well, it was really eye-opening for me because it was, um, and again, this is really early in my career in oil and gas. So it was the first time I'd really encountered that um, so intimately. Like, I mean, really like somebody I knew and it's like, you oh, had no idea what was coming. <laughs> yeah. How could, how could this be the outcome of this conversation? And so I remember at that time kind of, you know, talking her through it a little bit and then thinking, wow. And so honestly, Catherine, what I did was I backed off. So did for you? about a year, people would be like, what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, I don't have that reputation. And <laughs> <laughs> your ground. I've seen you in action. <laughs> but back then I was like, um, you know, what do you do? I'd be like, oh, I work in energy. Oh, oh, you did the greenwashing. I did. I totally did the greenwashing. And then like, again, I, I did that for, for about a year. And then the more I learned and the more empowered I got, the more I was like, uh-uh, this is not who I am. And I deserve better. My industry deserves better. And I know all of those people in the oil field that I represent every single day absolutely deserve better because mm -hmm. these are the hardest working, most dedicated um, you know, forthright people on the planet and, and the earth type of people take of the earth earth off people. your back kind of people. They're amazing. Yeah. And, and so honestly, that's where it started. I, I gained my power through my tribe. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I heard this quote, um, from somebody and it was your vibe attracts your tribe. And I love ah. that. I think it's like a coffee mug. <laughs> Maybe it is. Yeah. I, mean, I don't, I don't have anybody to attribute it to, but somebody said it to me and I was like, that's exactly right. And I was like, these, so people would start asking me, so what's it like working in a male dominated business? And I'd be like, um, it's fantastic. Um, a spoiler alert. I've always worked in a male dominated business. Most of us have. <laughs> it was very male dominated. Um, also spoiler alert. I've never been treated so respectfully and had more opportunities and more mentors than my time in the oil and gas industry. And Damn people are like, yeah. And they're like, really? Wow. And they're like, you know, what's it like being in the field around, you know, the, these, what do you call them? Roughnecks. And I'm like, it's like being surrounded by 200 of my big brothers. Yeah. They give me shit. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they take my shit, <laughs> but they will have my back and we trust each other and there is respect and there is passion and um, care and concern and um, solidarity. 100%. And, yeah. And so that's where it started. I started owning it and saying, no, my people deserve better. And then just saying this is. And so that's that's where it evolved. That's where it evolved into the social justice argument. That's where it evolved into um, the opportunity argument. You know, again, the whole, you know, if I, a Boulder brat with a degree in English and philosophy, <laughs> you get a job in oil and gas, anybody can. And I love so, that you're a Boulder brat. Thank you for going against the grain, man. Oh, man. Somehow they still send me the alumni newsletter asking for money. And I'm like, do you know who I am? Oh, they're <laughs> asking you for money because it's oil and gas. <laughs> <laughs> Make no mistake. They don't care where the money comes from. They just want to shame you. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Well, what, what about this this switch in the crew change? Or yeah, that, I said that the right way. This new crew change that's come about. Um, this sort of rise in social media. You know, you guys are really one of the the pulses of Colorado. And the reason I have so much focus in my career right now on Colorado is because I know it's going to affect my people in Texas and Wyoming and everywhere. And Everyone I speak to outside of this state has all eyes on Colorado. So when you're sitting around your boardroom and discussing this with senior teams, what are you guys really talking about? Because there's no, the conversation did not stop because of COVID, you know? Correct. Correct. No, what, what we started saying was, was um, we're, we're, again, we're taking this narrative and we're turning it on its head and we're saying, um, you know, and it started almost from a financial investor standpoint, because people started looking at Colorado companies, whether you were private or whether you were public, as high risk. Oh, there's oh, yeah. Risk, right? <laughs> we 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 we're not going to invest there every every two years. They're looking at a ban on on um, a setback or or a ban on fracking, or mm-hmm. you know they've just been in this political turmoil. And so we started saying, no, that's that's not what's happening here. Yeah, we do have this narrative in the community. Yeah, we've got a lot of people that we're working with right now to help understand all of the great things about our industry. But most importantly, we want to say our regulations are the best. Um, Are they the most stringent? Mm -hmm. Pretty damn close. Are they the strictest? Are they expensive? Absolutely. But you know what? Here in Colorado, we produce the cleanest barrel of oil in the United States and in the world. So, so at the end of the day, if you care about the environment, if you want clean air and clean water and assurances that that's what you're going to get, you need to look at Colorado as a model and not look at Colorado as a risk and say, Oh, 100%. These guys know how to do it right. And, and, um, and you know what? I, um, sometimes in, in the thick of the Colorado battle, there's times where I'm like, can I just go and hang with my buddies in Midland? <laughs> I want to go someplace where people like me. Oh my God, rulemaking is pushing you to go hang in Midland. <laughs> I, 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 I love Midland. You know, I'm, I'm a small town girl. I'm from Idaho Falls, Idaho. And going to those places reminds me of where I grew up. And Midland is its own flavor of everything. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I prefer it uh, between November and March. <laughs> <laughs> so does everyone else. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's, um, but but I, I think that's, you know, that's what we do here in Colorado is, is we turn the narrative and we say, no, if, if that's what you're concerned about, then, then you know, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hold my beer. I love that. <laughs> so moving into what you're saying, I mean, there there's risk, but there's risk anytime you give your money away. However, what we're seeing is something, you know, I'm hesitant about the introduction or the dictation of ESG. Mm-hmm. So before we jump into that, can you kind of give us an overview? What is ESG? Why should everyone be paying attention to it? And sort of how has it infiltrated oil right now? Sure. And energy, heck, and energy. Yeah. Well, well solar have the same problems. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, yeah, let me bookmark that. Don't let me forget to come back to, to renewables when it comes to ESG. So oh, yeah. um, ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. So it's three categories that um, agencies, analysts look at to say, how is a company performing? Um, you know, how do we index their performance on these three things? And I'm going to start by talking about um, a, a Starbucks. Let's look at somebody that's not in our industry, totally outside of it. So when when Starbucks is is presenting to their shareholders um, and talking about their performance metrics, when it comes to environmental social governance, they've got a very different equation. Um, environmental and social is really important to Starbucks because they are dealing with um, uh, fair trade agreements. Correct. With, arguably a lot of third world countries and small independent farmers. And they have to report on how they treat these farmers equitably and and take their product that they buy on a foreign market for pennies on the dollar and then sell it that translates into a $4 
cup of coffee, right? Well, $4 cup of coffee are you buying from Starbucks? It's like sick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Their <laughs> margins are the most impressive thing. <laughs> so yeah, so so they've got they've got a lot of explaining to do. They've got to say how do we um, do that in a way that is environmentally responsible, so that we're ensuring that these farms are, um, you know, I, I don't know the specifics, but let's say are, are managing pesticides appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they do it socially, so that they ensure that the people working on these farms are pay- paid a fair living wage and um, live up to the standards that a company like Starbucks should hold their vendors to. And then there comes governance. So how are they transparent in all of those things they do, their financial transactions? So, so that's how ESG looks at um, looks like to a company outside of our business. So it has now translated into um, the oil and gas world. And the way a BP looks at it is very different than a way that um, a PDC Energy, who is a Colorado-based company but is publicly traded, yeah. looks at it versus a Great Western. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to talk about like Great Western. So Great Western is a private company. We're, we're family owned. Uh, we um, are only about 150 people. But ESG is really, really important to us because how because you are Colorado. Because we are Colorado. Yeah. Hashtag committed to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I like that hashtag. <laughs> we have it everywhere. Trust me. I've got it on a T-shirt here. I, I can, I'm going to show you. Do you really? It's going to show up backwards, but yeah. Oh, I love it. Committed to Colorado. And we've got the Colorado flag on the, on the sleeve. So um, there it is. Um, Everyone's going to want one of those now. I know. <laughs> um, I'm happy to spread the word. So let me know if you want a t-shirt. Um, where was I? Oh, so so it's really important to us because we are the constituents. We are the residents of this great state. And so um, our commitment to ESG is going to show people um, why um, they want us in their backyards mm-hmm. and why they trust Great Western and, and it's why and how we earn that very nebulous thing called the social license to operate. And so, you know, I want people to support oil and gas exploration and production in Colorado because they support Great Western. Absolutely. Because you're like, oh, I met this woman, Susan. She was crazy. She wouldn't stop talking about oil and gas. And she somehow tied it to be a feminist. And she's a weirdo. But man, she was on it. And I'm really excited. And so maybe oil and gas isn't what I thought it was. Right? right. And, and and so that's that that connecting people to your purpose. And, and ESG is, is a big part of that. Um, there's a cautionary tale, though, which you brought up, which is how do we um, help influence and communicate what these standards are that we're going to be potentially held to. And, and Absolutely. Yeah, that's my concern because when you allow, and look, every industry has allowed this to happen, which is kind of like, you, you should learn from history, but you know, shit happens, right? Right. You let people in, they tell you how it should be. But meanwhile, you stop listening to your own people who know how it is. It's like the instruction manual, and then you try and tell the field guy, well, it should work like this, even though they use the tool every day. Right. So my concern is letting someone else tell us the standard by which we're held, because what you and I have discussed in the past is when Amazon, who, I mean, I love my prime (laughs) deliveries as well, but when they say they're no longer going to use dirty energy sources or Microsoft, that is a tongue in cheek way to sort of blame us. And yet we're making all these innovations. Right, right. We're making their lives possible. Um, So that's a really great point. And so to me, it's all about um, transparency and setting expectations and ensuring that standards that we're expected to abide by are goal-based and not prescriptive because obviously we're innovators and our technology changes very, very rapidly. And um, we don't know what's going to be possible 10 years from now. We're working towards that. But I think at the end of the day, what we need is we need engaged people to be leaders and to lead by example and be out there unapologetically saying, this is what we do and this is what what we, we what we don't do and what we can't do and what we can't commit to. And and I think, you know, going out there and and um, acknowledging um, both 
our towering achievements, but also our, our recognizable shortcomings. And, and you know, to me, um, I deal with the public a lot. And I deal with a lot of spectrum of the public. God bless you, because I couldn't talk to more than four people a day. So, like, I, I deal with, with uh, the people in the oil field who are, are just diehard committed to this, this industry and, and get it all the way. And I also deal with the people who say, keep it in the ground, you're criminals, and I've been spit on, I've been followed home, I've gotten death threats, I've gotten all of that, right? I haven't so, gotten a death threat yet. That's kind of cool. Well, yeah, it was crazy. I'll, I'll have to tell you that story sometime too. Yeah, we'll <laughs> offline. <laughs> but, but, you know, you deal with the spectrum of people. And, and it's, I think where I've, where I've landed and very recently is um, understand where, like where people are coming from and, and try and root for people from where they're at. So even if I'm, you know, dealing with a factivist, preferably somebody who's not spitting on me or saying mean things, but, you know, maybe has a very different opinion and a very different vision, um, you know, who says we need to keep it in the ground. What I'm going to do is not argue with them about their proposed outcome. I'm going to try and drill down and say, what's driving you to that outcome? Mm-hmm. And what are your concerns? And maybe we can find areas where those concerns are answered. Yeah. Or we can say, you know, this extreme, you know, view is just, it's not feasible, but this is what's feasible and agree to find a place to work towards. And um, that sounds crazy optimistic and idealistic. And it is because, you know, the reality is you're not going to get a whole lot of people and not really, really far end to come your direction. Um, just like I'm not going to get a whole lot of people on the far, far side of, of pro oil and gas who are going to hop in a Prius anytime soon. That's exactly. A, right. That's the beauty of, of free choice. And, and the free market is we can all, you know, vote with our you dollars. You're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion and, and, and do what you want with your with your money to support that. Um, but I think I think that's what it is, is, is you know, we, we, we can still, you know, strive for common ground and, and, and ask more questions than, than provide answers. And, and that might end up at the end of the day, um, you know, get us to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to your question, way back with the with the the woman at the at the social event. Yeah, yeah. Um, I asked her. I said, "Well, what's what's your fear about fracking?" And she couldn't answer me. Well, she, she couldn't tell it me. Sounds like a bad word. You know what I mean? Like, it yeah. sounds like my yeah. my maybe my first favorite of <laughs> not Friday. <laughs> so, so you know, I think at the end of the day, if you start saying, "Well, tell me what your fears are. Tell me what your concerns yeah. are. What what's so bad about fracking?" All of a sudden, you'll find a lot of um, uh, I heard, I saw on the internet and that, you know, that immediately kind of, um, deflates that, that rhetoric balloon that I was talking about earlier and, and yeah. takes away some of those arrows that you might feel like you were dodging three seconds ago. It is fun, isn't it? It is fun. Yeah. You've got to be a little bit of a sadist, but it is fun. <laughs> So I am curious, how do you think ESG is going to affect the uh, the narrative that's out there right now, especially in the media and with commentators and heck, even politicians right now going back to the ban on fracking? Like, yeah, I mean, we're putting all this effort, we're putting in quantifiable, you know, measures to index things properly. But like, really, what are what are we changing? Well, at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot more than that. And it's going to take just just reality and people stepping back from, from what they might view as a quick solution. And I'm saying ESG isn't going to be our silver bullet. ESG isn't going to solve all of our problems, but, but neither is banning fracking. Banning fracking is not going to solve any of the problems that the left thinks they have. And in fact, it's going to create a whole lot more. Oh, and so yeah. I think what we need to do is... is step back to your point earlier, step back from the headlines and get more into the content and more into what, what's, what's really the facts and, 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 and what's really driving this conversation. And, and kind of, um, again, looking at ourselves a little bit and reflecting on ourselves as a country. Um, you know, my, my mom spent two and a half years in the Peace Corps um, at really age, yeah, at sixty-four years of age, so she knows what it's like to live in a country that doesn't have the ability to just go flick on a switch and have your lights turn on, and she knows what it's like to live uh, in in the South Pacific in the middle of 
you know, their hottest season and not be able to just go crank that AC. She knows what that's like. And so, you know, I come back to, um, you talk about the vice presidential candidate, um, Kamala Harris and her, her, her insistence on banning fracking. Um, only a nation that is as prosperous as we are could, um, and I'm going to take a, a word from you, could have the audacity to say, I'm going to turn the switch off. Isn't yeah. that so terrible? That is criminal. It is criminal. It is criminal because there are people around the world that would do almost anything to have access to that resource. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are women criminal. around the world who did not get an education because they couldn't turn their lights on. Exactly. And what happens when women get educated? <laughs> they take over. <laughs> We get we get a hundred years of voting under our belt. <laughs> exactly, but it's such a big deal, right? It is a big deal, and and you know it's 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 women, it's it's entire countries, it's healthcare for children. Um, I mean, we all see the, the 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 ads about you know for the price of a cup of coffee a day, you could save a life, and it's like yeah, we can do that with with affordable, abundant energy too. And, Absolutely. Um, and and that's here in the United States. Just oh, it's already way. cheap as hell now. What are you worried about? Exactly, exactly. And and so you know, I think I think it's 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 pulling people out of of the um, you know the the Twitter battles and and the the forty characters or less and 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 that that false choice mm-hmm. and, and saying you know what, there's a lot more substance here. And I think if you give your opponent or the person who doesn't agree with you um a little bit of a compliment and say i think we're both i think we're both a little bit deeper than that i think we both have a little bit more um in our in our quivers to talk about than than just this you know fracking's bad ban fracking like i think mm-hmm. let's 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 take it to the next level and, and challenge each other to be smarter and um you know more thoughtful about this so i actually I'm curious what your opinion is here. I am a huge advocate for the field. The men and women that I've learned the most from have been working our oil fields and our energy sector for generations. Mm-hmm. And before I push you onto the the ESG uh, sort of oil versus alternatives, and I hate the word alternatives because it's all energy, but mm-hmm. how do we bridge that gap? Because everyone tends to get nervous when something new is introduced to our industry. And I am honestly of the opinion, if you really want to improve the narrative, the first people you should listen to are the people that are working the field because they're out there doing it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the expert, shall we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, the reality is um, I have been successful in my career because I have sought relentlessly sought out really, really good mentors and mentors who reflect my values and mentors who, um, you know, are, are as committed to their jobs, but mentors of every, um, every walk of life and every level of experience. And I have learned, um, you know, just as valuable business insights and, and developed my brand and, um, moved my career along based on advice from a mentor that drives an F-150 for a living, as I have from a mentor that sits at the head, at the chair at the end of a very long table in a boardroom. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's, it's learning and absorbing from those that, that, that do their job best. And that expert is either the person who is out there at two o'clock in the morning, you know, supervising a crew that is safely drilling a well that is a mile and a half below us and maybe two miles out that direction. <laughs> which <right>? direction? <laughs> East or west? I'm not sure which yeah, direction. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and 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 tapping into those resources and 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 um offering and highlighting and, and providing them the respect that they so richly deserve. Um and and you know that's that's what's made me successful. What's made me successful is not is not myself. I didn't just sit around and come up with these ideas of, hmm, I'm going to be a fracking feminist. It, it all came to me because I surround myself with people who, um, and I said this earlier, reflect those values. And um, I've, I've talked about this before, which is um, I, I, when I very first started my career, I was really afraid of, of being a leader because I thought that, especially as a woman, I think this is an important point. I felt like 
um, to be a leader and a woman, you had to be a bad guy. You had to be a bitch, right? And and that's not who I am. I can definitely be assertive. I can definitely hold my own. Um, and I can I can talk like the the I wouldn't cross you. <laughs> talk like the toughest drill hand or sailor in the in the county, right? But at the end of the day, I really believe in in heart forward leadership. And I've surrounded myself by leaders of of all levels of expertise that that at the end of the day have that core belief and that true north and that why because um without that it's it's kind of empty empty talk and empty rhetoric and um i struggle to to support a motivation there and, mm -hmm. and you know so that's where again i i am so committed to the people in the field that do the job today and those that i've surrounded myself with in, in all of my years in oil and gas because they are the experts and they are the ones keeping us safe and they are the ones that let me turn on my AC in the summer and my heat in the winter, and most especially crank that natural gas fireplace in my living room. <laughs> it will be interesting to see how it evolves from field to firm. I think ESG is very much a living document. So to yes. I don't think there's ever going to be a hard and fast set of rules. But on that note, I also don't want any listeners, because I know I have some outside of the oil patch as well, to think that ESG is being imposed on our industry because we did something wrong. It's happening across all forms. You just, for whatever reason, we are the real housewife. People like chatting about us, you know, and they tend to steer away from the impacts on water, solar, and wind. And it's, it's kind of almost unfair to them as well, because they're making great strides for us. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a full energy spectrum, so to speak. So what are you noticing there? So what I'm noticing there is um, it's kind of a tale of two cities. Um, and, and I'm going to start with oil and gas, and I'm going to switch over to, to renewables or alternatives or whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> and other energy resources. <laughs> so in oil and gas, I actually really do embrace ESG principles and ESG reporting because I believe um, the data shows me and, and has proven that at the end of the day, we have a good story to tell. Oh, yeah. And that's what I was saying earlier. Our production has drastically increased and our greenhouse gas emissions have drastically decreased. So I, I support that because I believe at the end of the day, the science will tell the story that, that we are doing the right thing and we are increasing our efficiencies and we are getting better and better, and better every single day. Um, I do think that with some renewable resources, um, there's going to be um, the opposite effect because you're looked at as the cure-all and, oh, wind and solar. Let's just throw solar panels on everything and let's just toss windmills out there and everything's going to be perfect. Well, every every yin has its yang, right? Exactly. And there are challenges to those technologies. And, and you know, some of the challenges are um, the rare earth minerals that are required to manufacture solar panels. Mm -hmm. Those those things are, are very frequently not mined under ethical, responsible conditions. Yeah, <laughs> not really at all. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm just using the word mining there. Mm -hmm. So an incredible amount of mining goes into developing what makes a solar panel. Well, that's not exactly green, right? And so I think that, that once you start following that trail, they're going to have a whole lot more to be accountable for um, because of all of those different elements. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, That's you land, at land use issues with wind and solar alone and people don't realize it until it's in their backyard. But, you know, when New York turn has to turn down these multi-billion dollar projects because their people are like, you can't take my backyard for solar panels. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make the front news, but it should because people need to be aware of the true impact. Right. And I think I think that's so my what I would love to happen is we we drive ourselves to an energy conversation that is um, let's let's put everything on on the table. We're not relying on government subsidies or or anything else to pick winners and losers in a free good market point. environment, right? A really good point. <laughs> Put it all out there. And then let's say, okay, what is the best solution for this particular environment? Mm -hmm. Because obviously we can't um, we can't drill for oil where there is no 
oil resources, right? Where there are no oil resources. Theology matters. Yeah, theology matters. Um, and, and also there's going to be times where it's not accessible to get traditional energy resources into a place like where my mom lived in the Peace Corps. And she has to rely on propane tanks and solar panels. That oh. makes sense, right? But let's, let's look at the entire equation. What is, what is the um, carbon footprint of, of manufacturing a solar panel? And then let's take that out and say, okay, you brought up land use. From a land use perspective, how much land does it take to power this amount of energy if you're using solar or wind or oil and gas? Mm-hmm. And at that point, all of a sudden, we're looking not at, it's not even apples and oranges. We're not looking mm-hmm. at apples and cucumbers. We're looking at apples and apples, right? And 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 then we can start making really thoughtful policy decisions and and regulatory frameworks that that put these energy resources where they need to be and foster them in the environments where they can flourish. I mean, that sounds like common, that sounds pretty easy, right? (laughs) Well, I'm always pushing practicality over policy because, you know, like it goes back to my comments and my thoughts and respect for field personnel. Yes. They know what works and they're using all sources. And just so everyone's aware, in many of these cases, wind, solar, and oil same field right <laughs> right exactly i hate to break it to you oh and usually they're cows somewhere <laughs> exactly yeah usually cows chickens something else going on out there a lot of soybeans ironically there's a lot oh, of soybeans. Yeah. i'm from mississippi soybeans is where it's at <laughs> yeah, a lot of soybeans a lot of corn i mean you know it's it's um you know i just there's such a there's such a huge opportunity and and i i just you know why can't we all just get along but um it's- it's you know. funny because we kind of already do. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, what's the end goal here? Okay, we're seeing, again, death of the corporate narrative, rise of personal brands, of which you, I still say Frack and Feminist, one of the best personal brands out there. Um, you know, the introduction of ESG, sort of the field to firm to social epicenter that you narrate, or excuse me, navigate all the time. What's the end goal here? Are we going to achieve something? You know, I think the end goal, and I've never been this kind of person, um, but but look at where we're at today. We are in just an outrageously polarized society. Um, People have too much to do right now. Jesus, are not enough to do. That's what it is. It's something. Yeah, we're we're all stuck in our in our home offices and 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 reading Twitter, and we we we, we're all very polarized, and and I think. (laughs) We need to somehow drive the conversation and drive the policy and the decision making um, to to that pragmatic path down the middle and and be goal and solution focused as opposed to um, mandate and prescriptive requirement focused. So um, I think I think we all want clean air. So let's identify what that looks like. And then when we do that, let's identify where the bad sources in our air are really coming from, as opposed to pointing fingers at, at you know, presumed suspects and, and not really stepping back and saying, you know, we, we all live on one globe. This air circles around like a big, huge snow globe. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and how do we how do we um, create solutions that, that don't look at um, us in a vacuum, whether that's us here in Colorado or us here in the United States or even us in the, in the oil and gas industry. Let's, let's all kind of pull together and, and have really thoughtful conversations about the impacts, about the opportunity, and then come together and, 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 and find that, that path down the middle. Um, and like I said, I've, I've, I've never really been a down the middle kind of girl, you know, like I'm, I'm black or white, but yeah, to me, like, you know, I, there, there's an opportunity here for us to to um, find agreement and find that common ground and and um, you know stop throwing arrows. Um, we, we all need to we all need to have each other's back right now. There's a global pandemic. Um, we've been isolated from our friends and families, and um, you know let's. Sometimes let's, that's okay. Sometimes that's really okay. <laughs> Don't tell my dad, but like, (laughs) I'm going to have to be careful who I share this with now. I know, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> but well, I love that because you're you're absolutely so correct on that. And you know, one of the things I love about our conversations is every time we talk, you always use the word impact. And I think it is one of the most powerful words because that understanding your impact, your footprint, your decisions is the difference in honestly transparency in our industry. It's makes it digestible. It makes it, um, you know, I guess relatable and something that people can be excited and proud about and understanding the full spectrum of impacts is I think exactly what you're driving for industry <laughs> while you so willingly sit in the middle of that. Uh, <laughs> let's call it the trifecta. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I love this. This is excellent. And I hope everyone listening goes and looks you up one way or the other. We are going to lock up that frack and feminist because you are definitely that is your brand and luckily this podcast will secure the copyrights for you. <laughs> so I mean before I let you go though, book, podcast, other resource. I mean media is flooding industry right now, but we tend to take our inspiration from outside there. So what has yes. brought you value yes. that you would recommend in out of industry, those looking to build a personal brand in industry and those looking to navigate the ESG waters? Yes. Um, I think this is a great question. And I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you three recommendations. Damn, um, you're giving me three? I, well, don't forget I was an English major, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is why you're an influencer. <laughs> so um, I mentioned earlier about reading that book on a plane, on a flight yeah. from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, this is all true story and, and you know, very organic conversation here. Um, but that book is called The Alchemist. And it's written by a gentleman by the name of Paulo Coelho. And it's been translated into a billion languages. Um, and it's kind of a fable, but it's really about finding your true north and finding, finding you know, what, what it is that, that makes you get up in the morning and what drives you that is beyond yourself. What makes you work 16 hours a day and still be proud about it the next day. And want to get up and do it all over again. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, that's that's my book number one. If someone's like, I don't have a brand or I'm not sure what my true north is, that might, it might lead you to a little bit of inspiration. It's a fable. It led you to oil and gas. Yes. And and I tell everybody, I, I used to, I used to be known for going to Barnes and Noble when we all used to actually walk into a bookstore and buy a book and like uh -huh. buy them off the shelf because I would hand a copy to everybody I knew because it was just such a, such a good book. Not everybody loves it, but it's a great book. So that's, that's awesome. If it inspired you to do that much, that's a pretty damn good book. It's a great book. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two is uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Robert Bryce. He's written a lot of books. Um, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's he's all over the place. He's brilliant. Um, and he wrote a book called Power Hungry that I really, really love because um, at the time, it was one of the first books that said, I like sitting in my living room on a hot afternoon with the air conditioning on and drinking a cold beer. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we have you know, he also started a podcast. What's that? He started a podcast. Yes, I get his emails. Yeah, uh -huh. I, I should be like, hey, want me to I helped him start it, and it is awesome. And I think everyone should listen to it because he's he's like you. He's such an advocate. Yeah, for you know, women and electricity and energy. And you're right. Like that book is killer. His latest film is is on point with regards to Juice. the, the human movie. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's absolutely it. So. Yeah, put that out there as a reference too. His, his I'll make sure film. everything you're recommending here, I will make sure is down in the comments and I'm going to put your links up there so they can stalk you and find you and be a fracking feminist with you. Awesome, awesome. I'm <laughs> gonna what's the third one? One third book and it's called Apocalypse Never and it's written by an environmentalist, uh, environmental scientist uh, named Michael Schellenberger and he basically says, listen, Climate change is real, but all of this alarmism is is just that. It's alarmism. And he and he breaks down the science of, of what's happening in the world around us and how misguided policies um, can really take us down a bad path. Um, he has an entire uh, chapter dedicated to um, straw gate or, or plastic straws. So that's hilarious. Yeah, it's very, very timely, it's very contemporary. Um, he's, he's, uh, he lives here in Colorado. I'm not recommending that because he is a Colorado, but it's just a good connection. <laughs> point. Um, but apocalypse never. 
is another really good one. And um, I think those books really run the spectrum between between obviously oil and gas and energy in a global environment, you know, personal inspiration. Um, and and what, what does somebody really outside of our industry have to say about what people are saying about us? And yeah. yeah. So Susan, I, I'm throwing this in here on you because I know I told you those were my last questions and how I typically close, but <laughs> that wouldn't be fun for me. Um, because personal branding is one of the number one questions that I get. And again, it's, it's individuals and it's, you know, mid-sized companies asking me, you are the fracking feminist. So let the closer be how, what would you recommend for someone who's seeking to sort of make their stamp on energy and be part of the change? I think um, one of the things I love about this industry is there is almost no limit to the angles of why. Um, oh why God, is the best quote? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> why, why is oil and gas important? And, and why is what we do important? And I think I think everybody needs to find what is your why, and is it is it is it because um, I come from a farming family and I worked on the farm and I left the farm and at eighteen I had a job and within a couple of years I was sustaining you know my young family, um, or is it you know so what is your why? Is it is it the economics? Is it the social justice? Is it the environmental? Um, is it um, the the science and um, you know, is it, is, is it, it our data? <laughs> right, right. Is it the data? Is it, is it, you know, our role in, in getting, getting rockets launched to Mars? We can't, uh -huh. we can't do that on solar and I'm not bashing solar. I think solar is great. You guys are cool. We but, use solar. We can't bash it. <laughs> right. So, you know, so whatever it is, like there, there's no limit to the why and, and, and find out what your why is and ask questions and, um, you know, be that person that people are like, oh, you got to talk to this guy, man. I learned so much about, you know, oil and gas and, and its role in, in um, you know, God, I was going to say something terribly boring, like tax structures, but, you know, <laughs> but everybody's got their thing, right? So everybody has their weird kinky thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it's political, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's political. Maybe it's, it's, you know, the, the, the thrill of the chase. Of, of I'm pretty sure on one panel I did do, it was a happy hour and I got maybe one too many sips of wine and I yelled out Mills 2024. So <laughs> happens to us all. <laughs> I, I own a button that says that so I can wear it. On <laughs> oh, gee, really? That's amazing. I, I have one that says Susan 2016 actually. <laughs> that is awesome. That's yeah. hilarious. Oh my God. Fracking feminist 2024. Not messing around. <laughs> I'm so glad I saved that question for you because you think I would have asked it earlier. And I was like, nope, let's save it for the end. So oh. I mean, awesome, awesome advice. Susan, thank you so much for taking the time. It's always so fun to chat with you. I love that you are, you know, you're a black and white girl, but you know how to talk down the middle. And I love that you're in the epicenter helping steer this narrative and doing it by example, not just by, you know, whatever the big wigs up top tell you to say. So Thank you for your communication styles, taking the time today, and all that you do for oil and energy. Thank you um, for all of the same. Thank you for, <laughs> for giving me this platform, and it's always so, so enjoyable to talk with you, and um, I look forward to hearing from your listeners. And um, I'm, Oh, I'm they're going to leave here. you comments. They better. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Fabulous. thing before you go if today's episode brought you any sort of value go online rate review subscribe also if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature you can get in touch with us via facebook linkedin instagram or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com thanks so much for your engagement and until next week give them hell <laughs>